Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. The very first time I visited my chiropractor uh, here was about 10 years ago. I was having some low back pain. And on the very first visit, he watched me walk back to his office. And he said to me, you have one leg longer than the other. He prescribed orthotics, but a month later they came in and I stuck them inside my shoes and that largely took care of the low back pain. But every other time that I would go to my chiropractor for an adjustment, he would ask me, how are those orthotics working out for you? He was expecting me to apply the solution that he'd prescribed for me. Now, imagine if I had come back to him one time and said, you know, I'm having that low back pain again. And he would say, are you wearing the orthotics? And I say, no but I'm having that low back pain again. You know what he would say? He would say, well, you need to apply the solution that I provided for you. And if I just said, no, nah, but I'm having that low back pain again, he would say, you need to apply the solution that I've prescribed for you because that's the only way that you're gonna get on the track that you wanna be on. Now, in Christianity, uh, growth is not guaranteed. People get stalled all the time, but growth is expected. You may remember a bumper sticker from several years ago that says, uh, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Well, I want to break bad news to you. That is not biblical. (laughs) That is not an excuse for us to just live however we want to live like the rest of the world. And then it's okay because one day I'm going to go to heaven. No, if we take it for granted that the purpose of a Christian isn't just to die tomorrow and be taken into heaven, but to live lives on earth, then you and I need to take spiritual growth seriously. And we need to watch out for pitfalls and dangers. And we need to put into practice the solutions that God has provided for us. We need to avail ourselves of the resources that are out there that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives because growth is not automatic. Now, last week we talked about the church growing together in maturity, how Christ is the head of the church and he is fully mature. He's the picture of perfection, the North star that we aim our lives at. But we as a body, we're we're weak. And so we're trying to grow up and the maturity of the body should match the maturity of the head. Here's the problem that we're gonna talk about today. The problem is that all people, Christian and non-Christian have a tendency to grow small rather than big. And bigness is the, that's the goal that God has for us, that his spirit could expand inside of us and make us bigger people. But, but the tendency is to turn our worship, not outward, but inward. The tendency is to turn the love that we have, not far outward, but inward until eventually we kind of get to the point that beyond ourselves and a close circle of associates, we just have no more love to give. That's not God's will for us. God's will for us is that we would be filled with his love and his love would flow through us and we could be a resource, a life-giving, loving resource to all of those around us. And in order to do that, you and I, we got to continue to grow. So we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter four this morning. I'm excited about what it's going to reveal to us there about the great danger that you and I can fall into that if we're aware of it, we can grow in major ways. If we're not aware of it, we can end up living kind of a lackluster Christianity. Here we go. Beginning at verse 17, Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord 
that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, last week we talked about the fact that Gentiles were included in the gospel. This was a scandalous thing that God did. And so in verse one, he says, now live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. You are a Gentile, but don't live like a Gentile anymore. Change and show yourself worthy of the party that you've been invited to. Verse 18, Gentiles are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Have you ever arrived at a place where you found yourself underdressed? Maybe a party, maybe an invitation. Shortly after we were married, my wife and I went on a cruise, and there was one night in the dining room where formal dress was required. Well, we didn't pack any formal dress. We were on a cruise. We were on vacation. And so I put on some simple polo shirt, collared shirt, and just thought, ah, they're not going to call me on it. We arrived at the guest station where the maitre d' was you know, seating people, and he took one look at me, and he shook his head. He said, you've got to have at least a jacket on. And he went away and they had some spare jackets and he brought one to me and he made me put it on to come into the party. We were invited to the party. We'd, we'd paid for the cruise, but we needed to change the way that we presented ourselves to prove that we were worthy of being there. If you've ever been underdressed, you know that feeling. And so here Paul is saying, it's totally fine where you're at that you're a Gentile, but don't continue to live as a Gentile in the way that you think. And we said this last week, it is not not love for God to both look at you if you're spiritually mature and say, I value you right where you're at. I love you not on your own merit, but because I choose to love you. And at the same time, I want you to grow up. I value you growing up. I can't wait for you to grow up. That is not not love for God to have that attitude. So you and I should want to grow and desire to grow in this fullness that God has for us and not live as the non-believers do in the futility of their thinking. Now, I want to caution you on one thing. Don't read verses 17, 18, and 19 as an us versus them thing. Paul is not saying you as Christians, you've, you've crossed some river and now you're the special holy class and these are the unbeliever, bad people, unholy class. And how do we know that? Because the book of Ephesians was written to Christians, Christian believers. And so Paul wouldn't warn about this if it wasn't possible. And what's possible is that we can believe in Christ. We can have Christian faith but we can still in our minds and in our everyday lives conduct ourselves just like the rest of the world. That's the great trap. And Paul says, be aware of that trap. Don't fall into that trap. And it begins with our hearts and with our minds. So let me read this passage again, but this time, instead of using pronouns that refer to the Gentiles, I'm going to use the word I. So think about this in your own life. Is this true of you? I have become darkened in my understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in me due to the hardening of my heart. Having lost all sensitivity, I have given myself over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and I am full of greed. It's pretty convicting. And, And if that describes you this morning, I want you to know that there's hope. You're not the only one in the world. 
Otherwise, again, Paul wouldn't address this situation. He saw it happening with the Ephesian Christians. We see it happening with Christians today. Maybe that's your situation, but there is hope, but we've got to understand what's going on. So let me reconstruct this equation that the passage describes. Here it is. Number one, it begins with a heart that becomes hard, which leads to ignorance in the mind. Ignorance not as stupidity, but ignorance as in, I don't even think about it. And when you stop thinking about God, it leads to a darkened understanding and a separation from the life of God, which leads to a loss of sensitivity, which leads to a throwing off of restraint, which leads to self-indulgent behavior, this endless quest for pleasure and thrill and a cycle where you never feel satisfied. And at the root of it is our heart and our minds. So the word that's used there, ignorance, is the Greek word agnoian. Think of agnostic, not having knowledge. It's not that thinking is against God or anti-God. It's just that there's no thoughts about God as all, at all. Let me read to you from Psalm 10.4. And you're going to remember this reference because that's easy to remember. 10.4, like, got it. This is an important verse for all of us to know. Psalm 10.4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Christians, we've got to think about God. We've got to make room in our thoughts for God. The the Christian devotional writer A.W. Tozer said, what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about him or her. What I would add to that is the fact that someone thinks about God at all is important because in today's busy day and age, and you've got so much input coming at you, it can be easy for God to take a back seat or to be something that we don't have any thoughts about at all. And in our minds, there's no room for God. What do we do? We've got to make room for those God thoughts. And I'll have more to say about that at the end. But when we don't think about God, it leads to a a darkened understanding. Think about that expression, I am in the dark sometimes at work I'm in the dark about things. And sometimes that's my own fault because I didn't read the email or I wasn't paying attention to the meeting, but, but sometimes I'll find out about things and say, I know nothing about this. I was in the dark. And sometimes it leads to separation from the life of God. I mean, it's one thing for me to be in the dark about things at work because I'm not paying attention. It's another thing for me to be not employed anymore. Now I have no more access to that information at all. When we don't think about God, When we're not aware of him, God just kind of fades from our consciousness. And at this point, we're not thinking about God at all. So now we lose our sensitivity. We become desensitized. Like when you watch a lot of violence in media, you become desensitized to violence on people. Or you can suffer what's called compassion fatigue. You're just around suffering all the time. You become desensitized to it. This is not good because the next thing that happens is you just sink into apathy. Ah, who cares? And what comes next? You give yourself over, the Bible says, to sensuality. Now, that is not a sexual word necessarily. It can be, but sensuality means uh, to throw off all restraint, to just, to just lose all sense of proper proportion and shame, just to do whatever you want to, and I don't care who finds out. And then finally, indulgence, indulging in every kind of impurity and full of greed. And this is what happens when you no longer feel. When you lose your sensitivity, 
yet we are created to feel things, guess what you do? You take desperate efforts to feel, to feel, to feel. So you've got this paradox. I, I, I'm not sensitive anymore, but I know that I should feel something. And so you indulge yourself, you indulge yourself, you indulge yourself. And it takes more and more and more to feel the things that you should naturally be feeling. There is a condition in the mental health world called anhedonia, which is the inexperience of pleasure, the, the inability to experience pleasure. It's a symptom of depression. When you're at the point of anhedonia, those normal things that should lift your spirit, you're just numb to those things. And so what do you do? You go out and you try to feel in other ways. Now you live carnally. Now you live indulgently. Convince yourself, oh, I, I deserve this. And you just need more and more and more. So let me outline that equation one more time. First, the heart becomes hard. Secondly, we become ignorant, which is not stupid. It means there's just no room in our thoughts for God. Third, we become darkened in our understanding, separated from God's life. Fourthly, we become desensitized. Then we throw off restraint. And then we just live this endless cycle of self-indulgence. But there's hope. But there's hope. Listen to verse 20 through 24. That is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I wasn't supposed to wear my old shoes anymore. I was supposed to put in the new inserts, the new insoles, which would straighten out my legs. And, and that was provided to me. And God has provided a great resource to you and I so that we don't have to live in this cycle of self-indulgence. It's called the new self. Now, I'm going to go back to verses 17 through 19 because I just think there's something going on so interesting in the Greek here. There are five strong words that are used there. Separated from the life of God, ignorance, the loss of sensitivity, sensuality, and impurity. In the Greek, each one of these words has the prefix a or apo at the beginning. When a Greek word has a at the beginning, whatever follows is negated by that. So if we talk about an agnostic, an agnostic is they don't think about it, agnostic. Or if we say something is asymmetrical, there's no symmetry between those two things. And apo means apart from, removed from. So it talks about being separated. That's a word that uh, allotrius is belonging to each other. But if you are apolatrius, you are not belonging. You've become separated. It talks about ignorance, agonoian, to not no, it talks about a loss of sensitivity, which is being separated from the ability to feel, which we should feel. It talks about sensuality, being separated from proper shame or moral restraint. And it talks about impurity, acarthesius, not being cleansed. So check this out. If you chop off the negative, the, the ah or the apo, it gives us a clear picture of the new life that God brings to us, the life that he desires for you and me. Instead of being separated from his life, it's belonging and connected deeply to him. Instead of being ignorant of him, it's to be filled with knowledge of him and always thinking of him. 
instead of losing our sensitivity for God, it's to become highly sensitized to him. Instead of living with sort of shameless sensuality, I'll just do whatever I want. It's to practice morality and restraint. And instead of living in an impure way, it's to be purified and clean. And so this then is the key. In Ephesians 4, Paul begs us to recognize that there's a better way to live. It's in the life of God. That apart from the life of God, we're, we're sick, we're impaired, but connected to God, it's not a moral code that we follow. No, it's an embodiment. It's putting on the new self so that God lives in you. Take off the old self. It's corrupted. It's, it's, it can't do what you were created to do. Put on the new self, which is to be like God. And so in the verses that follow, listen to the contrast that he presents. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. That's the old self. That's the natural way to live. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. That's the new self. Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. That's the old self. Uh, Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. New self. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. That's the natural way to live. That's the old self. But they must work doing something useful with their own hands that they'll have something to share with those in need. That's the new self. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That's old self. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. New self. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That will be old self. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Those are marks of the old self. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Marks of the new self. See, the new self, it's life-giving. It comes from God. God pours his life into us, but he doesn't want it to just reservoir there and stop. It should flow through us to other people. And so, It's wrong to think that in Christianity, individuals don't matter. Even though we're being asked to not live the way that we lived before and take off the old self, you matter deeply because you have the ability to be filled and used by God and to take the things that we've received from God and pass them on to other people. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, we don't presume that he means if you hate yourself, it's okay to hate and mistreat your neighbor. We presume that he means you need to properly love yourself so that you have love to give away to the rest of the world. So taking breaks isn't wrong. Caring for yourself isn't wrong. What's wrong is when you just pull that up inside and it just becomes self-love, which makes you smaller and smaller. What's meant to be is that you receive the love from God and it makes you bigger and bigger and bigger as you expand your influence in the world. We have to take care of ourselves or we can't be the resource to other people that God designed us to be. So in closing, let me talk about five ways to take this message home today. Number one, you and I need to pray and beg that our hearts remain soft, that our hearts don't grow cold, because that's where this downward spiral of turning inward begins, a hardened heart. But that's not all we can do. The second thing is, we got to have God thoughts. We've got to make room in our mind for God. And you say, Mark, I'm so busy. I am so busy from the moment I get up until I fall into bed exhausted at night. I can't think about anything else but work or politics or, well, let me make a suggestion. You got to shed some things. 
You've got to make room in your thoughts for God. Maybe that means cutting back on social media and setting some limits there. Maybe it means consuming less sports or less news or spending less time on quarrels with other people. Maybe it means observing deliberate periods of silence and slowing down where you remind yourself that life isn't all about you, but God's got some bigger purpose that he's using you in. Maybe it's trips out into nature, just taking walks, but this is our responsibility. A lot of the fullness of life is because we have failed to say no to things that we should have said no to. And God is not responsible for yours and my inability to say no to things. So make room in your thoughts for God. Number three, be aware if you're losing sensitivity to the things of God, if, if there's encroaching apathy in your life, watch out that you don't fall into a defeating cycle. Number four, love yourself, take care of yourself, but keep the proper end goal in mind. You're not loving yourself for the sake of self, you're loving yourself for the sake of others. And Number five, review verses 25 through 32. At some point this week, review verses 25 to 32, where it lists all these things that we shouldn't do. When we read sin lists in the Bible, it can be really, really convicting. Like, oh my gosh, he nailed me. But keep in mind, millions of people have read these and seen themselves in these verses. Uh, even Bible people didn't live in Bible land where life was all rosy. They struggled with sin. You might struggle with these sins too. I do. And so when we read those, we don't shrug our shoulders and go, well, I guess that's everybody, no big deal. And then we read these and say, wow, back to the time of Christ, human beings have been struggling with this. I'm not the only one fighting this battle. Above all, we remember that Christ is the picture of perfection. He is the goal. So if I ask you, uh, are you a good friend? You might go, yeah, I'm a pretty good friend. But if I frame the question this way, could you be a better friend? You go, oh, yeah, I guess I could. Are you a good spouse? Oh yeah, I think I'm pretty decent. Is there a way that you could be a better spouse? Oh yeah, I guess so. Are you a good follower of Jesus? Well, yeah, I go to church every week and I read my Bible. Could you be a better follower of Jesus? See with Christ as the North star, there's always room for you and me to grow. Let me encourage you this week to once again, press into Lean into growth, the maturity that God has for us and put into practice the solution that he's prescribed for you and I. Let me pray. Lord, we pray for sensitivity in our hearts. We pray that if there's areas of our hearts that have grown cold towards you or towards other people, you'd shine your light on those areas we pray, Lord, that if we've turned inward and we can feel ourselves shrinking and becoming smaller as people, we would turn outwards and take off that old self and put on that new self. Lord, speak to us about these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.